0: This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Ifill. I'm lead pastor here at Grace River Church. And I want to wish you and your entire family a happy Easter. Uh, thanks for watching online at home. And uh, I want you to know that you're always welcome at Grace River Church. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, you're welcome here. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about Easter, uh, which happens to be the most uh, significant event in human history Uh, happened at Easter. And so you think about all the events that have happened Uh, And I promise you this, man, this is the most significant event. And really when I look at Easter, when each of us look at Easter, there's really three different views that we could have of Easter, right? So the first view that we could have of Easter is that we're a little confused. Like uh, maybe you didn't grow up in church and uh, you're a little cloudy on what Easter is really about because uh, maybe you grew up with Easter egg hunts uh, and things like that and you're like, man, what exactly is going on at Easter? And so you're just a little bit confused. Uh, There are some people You know the story of Easter, and you kind of casually approach it. Uh, You know that the central figure of the story is Jesus, but you're kind of confused about, you you know, just kind of casually thinking about, man, like, I don't know what this is really about. And how does the story of Easter really affect you? Like, if you just casually view the story of Easter, you understand the implications of it, but it's not personal to you. And then there's the third area that you could be when, when you look at the, the, your view of Easter, and that's really uh, an area of commitment, like you're, you're committed to the story of Easter, that it, you understand uh, that it, Jesus was the substitute on the cross for your sins, and the check cleared on Easter Sunday morning because he didn't stay dead. He resurrected, and so that proves that he is who he said he was. And so uh, today I want you to know uh, there is some significance to the story, and the reason why Easter is so significant is uh, is because the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead can live inside of you. And that is why this is such an important critical story for every single one of us. And so again, it doesn't matter what your upbringing was, doesn't matter what your background was, doesn't matter what your past is, what your present is, what your future is. It's significant because the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave can live inside of you, teaching us this that anything is possible with God. And so I think about uh, the, our need of Easter and, and our need of Jesus, essentially. The reason why we need Jesus is because of our brokenness. Every single one of us have broken something. And I think about my own brokenness. I mean, man, I, I can remember a time in my life. Uh, I'm eight or nine years old, and I'm at my grandparents' house, and um, the garage door was open, and my grandfather's LTD Crown, Ford LTD Crown Victoria, it was a white uh, sedan, but it was like, it was like a tank how big this car was. Okay. And, uh, my grandfather had told me to never put myself in the driver's seat, but you know how that goes. Like when somebody tells somebody in authority like that tells you not to do something, you just kind of want to try it out. Right. And he had left his keys in the car. And so I thought that I would be cute and back his car up for him. And so I go to back the car up, I put it in reverse, but what I didn't realize was, at at eight or nine years old, I couldn't quite reach the steering wheel, and so I turned the wheel as I pulled myself up to it, and I turned it just sharp enough that whenever I hit Whenever I put it in reverse, I'd watched him do it a hundred times. But when I had put it in reverse and I stepped on the gas, that instead of backing straight out of the garage, I back out of the garage at an angle and I nearly tear the garage down as a result because I hit one of the beams that supported the garage, actually the exit beam. Uh, and so the garage door wasn't able to go up and down anymore. But, but even scarier than that, as I hit it, I think that the garage is going to collapse on top of me. Like this is how dramatic... This moment is and so now I've got to run inside and explain to my grandfather what I've done and I broke his garage like at eight or nine years old I thought that I was going to be dead not from the garage collapsing on me but just I thought I was going to be dead from my grandfather's wrath right like I was just absolutely scared of what was going to happen as a result of that and we can all think about times as a kid maybe it was like a vase or something important or a lamp uh, at your parents house maybe it was a, a special glass that you broke but that's just a, simply a metaphor to help us to understand one big thing, that we're, we've all broke some stuff. And essentially, we're all broken. I mean, I think about my life and I think about your life. We're all broken. We're, we're broken as a result of a lot of different things, right? So I'm just going to run through a list of things that may, may be the reason why you're broken or, or the reason why I'm broken. And so uh, this is kind of generic, but I think we can all relate with this at some level. Man, we need Jesus because we're broken. Maybe you've got uh, some kind of parent relationship. Uh, that's just not right with your parents. And it could be because they just didn't show up in your life like you thought they should. Uh, or it could be because they said something or did something that made made left you going, man, I don't I don't know, you know, where I stand with them. Maybe it's maybe it's that. Like you can look at your life and go, I'm broken and the reason why I'm broken is is this. And, you know, maybe it's their fault, maybe it's your fault. Maybe you could look at your marriage and go, man, somebody walked out on you and you look at your life and go, Man, I, I feel pretty broken as a result of that. Maybe it's uh, a friend that betrayed you, and you just you you've experienced friendship, and uh, and that friend, you know you thought you trusted them, and they betrayed that trust. Maybe maybe somebody crossed the line in your life, and they they abused you somehow. Whether it was uh, physically or emotionally or wh- however uh, you look and go, man, I, I've you've been abused, and as a result of that, you feel broken. Maybe maybe it's anger in your own life um, that man there, somebody presses your button on a certain thing, and man you just. You just shoot off and you know that's your trigger point. Maybe it's jealousy. You look at what other people have, whether you're scrolling through social media or you're just driving into your neighborhood and you realize what your neighbors have that you wish that you had uh, or what your friends have that you wish that you had. And you go, man, I I don't know why I struggle with jealousy so much, but you recognize that that is a part of your brokenness. Maybe it's it's hatred uh, towards a certain person in your past. Or maybe it's even towards a certain group of people that you just look at and go man i I just absolutely can't stand these people or maybe you're self-medicating like maybe there's just something going on in your life and it started small uh, and it started as a way for you to cope with something but now it's actually grown into something way bigger started as something that you thought would only affect you but now it's actually affecting your lifestyle and your entire family and before you know it it won't be a secret any longer and so No matter what it is that you look at today whether it's on this list or not i guarantee you this if you're alive and breathing right now which you are you're broken at some level and all of us need jesus the whole point of Jesus' life the whole reason why he came for us was to undo all of our brokenness and as i mentioned before the reason why we celebrate easter is that he actually did what he said he was going to do. And so we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 27, uh, which is the story that leads up to the resurrection. This is the story of Jesus going to the cross for our brokenness. Let's read this together in Matthew chapter 27. We'll start in verse 24. Pilate saw uh, that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was beginning to develop. So this is Jesus on trial. Uh, This is the moment where Jesus is going to, uh, he's getting ready to go to the cross and Pilate, who was a Roman official, wanted nothing to do with the death of Jesus. He saw no, he saw no sin. Uh, he saw nothing wrong with Jesus, but he, he's beginning to wash his hands of this. And so, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying this, I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And so he's saying this uh, to the Jewish leaders, uh, to the Jewish people uh, that, that want Jesus dead. Uh, and, and all the people yelled back, we'll take the responsibility for his death, we and our children. Can you imagine that? They, they, they disliked Jesus so much that they said, hey, we, we'll take responsibility for his blood. And ultimately, uh, we all have said that at some level, that we needed actually uh, the blood of Jesus to redeem us from our sins. We go on to see in verse 26, so Pilate released Barabbas to them. Barabbas was uh, a criminal. Uh, he was an insurrectionist. Uh, Barabbas was, was unworthy of being set free, but it was a tradition um, during this time period that they would release a prisoner once a year, and Barabbas was the one uh, that they choose to release, and it's wild because they, they, Barabbas is the exchange. Barabbas, this guilty man, is the exchange for this innocent man, Jesus, which is a, a picture of us. Uh, God metaphorically is using the picture of Barabbas to help us to understand that an innocent man goes to the cross while a guilty man is set free. And that is really the story of the gospel. That's my story and that's your story. That every single one of us are guilty, but there's this beautiful exchange that happens as a result of Jesus. He ordered Jesus to be flogged with a a lead tip, a lead whip, whip tip. Then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And so to be flogged meant that you would be hit with, uh, with a whip 39 times. Uh, and this leather whip uh, would have bone and glass fragments in it at, at the tip of it. And so what would happen is you would be hit with this cat of nine tails uh, to be flogged like this. And the, the point was is that you would get hit and this would wrap around your ribcage and stick into your flesh and rip away from you 39 times. The significance behind 39 times is this, is that uh, 40 times would actually kill a man. And so uh, that's why they would say 39 times. And so verse 27, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire uh, raiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And so then they went on to, they, they, they wove branches and and put a crown and put it on his head and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a a scepter. Then they knelt before him, mocking him, taunting him this, all hail, hail King Jesus, the King of the Jews. This is all out of mockery. They didn't actually believe that he was King, but he's going to prove that he is later in the story. Then in verse 30, and they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally... Tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him again. Then they led him away, led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man uh, named Simon who was from Cyrene. The soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Jesus was so exhausted that he could no longer carry his cross. In fact, other portions of the Bible tell us that he was unrecognizable as a man in this moment. Um, And then they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place, Place of the skulls, skull. The, soldier, the soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he responded, he, he refused to drink it, which actually was prophesied also in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. And then in, in verse 35, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charges against him. It read this, this is Jesus, the king of the jews and this is amazing to think about because jesus was broken for me and for you and we think about good friday and we think about everything that happened leading up to the cross and all of those things but i want you to know all of this happened not so it would be a cute story it all happened he was broken for our brokenness in fact in Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah, 400 years before any of this happens, he says this. He, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. And notice this. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Jesus was broken so that you and I don't have to be. That's an amazing thing about our Savior that is oftentimes missed. We often think that, man, it, I need Jesus because he saves me from my sins and I get to spend eternity with him in heaven as a result. And yes, that is part of the story. But do you realize that today, you and I can live for him and in living for him, we don't have to live for ourselves any longer. And we don't have to live in our brokenness any longer. As a result of what Jesus has done, we get a chance to live in freedom. So in in verse 6 in this passage, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of of us all. It was Jesus's death that was the perfect sacrifice for us. The interesting thing about Jesus and his death is that he promised that he wouldn't stay dead. I think about this. I mean, it's amazing to think like he predicted that he wouldn't stay dead. In fact, in Matthew chapter 17, days before he'd be crucified, he told his disciples this. Jesus told them the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Jesus predicts his own death. Like, he says it, like, hey, here's what's going to happen. And we, we learn later that the disciples are grieved by all this, but, man, who in the world predicts their own death? Who in the world says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going to be killed, and three days later, I'm going I'm to resurrect? And he, he does it. He defeats death. And I think about this. Who can do that? I mean, it's one thing. Like, you think about defeating someone. Like, it's one thing uh, for the Cardinals to say, yeah, we're going to defeat the Cubs this year. And it's one thing for the Blues to say, yeah, we're going to beat the Red Wings this year. And it's one thing for a golfer to say, hey, I'm going to take a few shots off my game this year. Like, like that's amazing to think about. But th- when you think about someone defeating death, though, like, if Jesus can defeat death, that means that whatever is broken in my life, whether it's a marriage, a financial situation, Something with your parents, like something with your kids, something that somebody said about you years ago that you're still holding on to. Whatever brokenness is in your life, I want you to know, like, because of an empty tomb, your heart doesn't have to be empty. Because of an empty tomb, your heart can be made full. So three ways to look at Easter. I said it earlier. You can look at Easter confused. I mean, I don't know what this is about. I'm telling you what it's about. You can look at it casually and go, yeah, I get the implications of Easter, but it's not personal for me. Or you can say, no, 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 I'm I'm committing to this. There's a great story in John's gospel after Jesus was crucified of a man, two men, Nicodemus and another man named Joseph of Arimathea. And it's such a crazy story because both of these guys were Jewish religious leaders who at one time didn't believe in Jesus. At one time... Uh, They were confused about who Jesus was. At one time, they were casual about who Jesus was. But we we read in John's gospel that at some point, both of these men said this, I'm I'm committed to who Jesus is. In fact, uh, we we pick up the story in John chapter 19. This is after Jesus has been crucified. And let's look at what these two men did. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus. So it was kind of casual, right? It, It wasn't fully committed because he was secret. And some of you are doing that. You would say, well, my, my faith is kind of a private matter. There's nothing private about our faith because Jesus' death on the cross was very public, and so should your faith be. And so, but, but Joseph of Arimathea, he, he moves from being private about his faith, he moves from being casual about his faith to being committed. Notice what he does here. Because he had feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down uh, Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body. He took the body away. So now, Joseph of Arimathea, who was once a secret disciple, recognizes that Jesus is something special. Typically, people that would be killed on a cross like this uh, would, be, would be buried in an unrecognizable grave. But Joseph of Arimathea says this, I'm going to go talk to Pilate myself. He risks his own life to go talk to Pilate himself and says, I want to bury this man in my own tomb. Look at what he says here. Now, with him came Nicodemus, the man would come to Jesus at night. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3, if you remember this story. Nicodemus was the the guy who said, "Uh, what do do I have to do to attain eternal life? Jesus says, be born again and so uh that, that's that where that whole concept of born again comes from In john 3:16, the most famous quoted passage of scripture in the entire bible uh, for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's john 3:16. that was based off a conversation in john chapter 3 in this story so now we fast forward to the end of the story in john chapter 19 and let's look at what nicodemus is doing now instead of nicodemus coming at night Now Nicodemus is walking past all of his religious buddies and he's saying this, I am committed, that I am convinced and committed to the idea that this guy Jesus was not just a good prophet, not just a good teacher, not just a miracle worker, but he's my savior because Nicodemus waves goodbye to all of his old buddies, all of his old religious leader friends that that actually put Jesus on the cross. And he says this, hey, I'm going to help bury this guy. Look at what he does here. He brought about 75 pounds of of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. And this is so good. So what's what's incredible about this story is you've got, got Nicodemus, you've got Joseph of Arimathea, and both of them are going, okay, we really believe this guy is Savior. And they weren't casual about it anymore, Uh, They weren't weren't confused anymore about who Jesus was. They had made a commitment. Just who is this person Jesus? They had decided. And I wonder today, man, have you made that decision? What's incredible about the Easter story is it doesn't stop at the cross. And it doesn't stop at the burial either. In fact, the Apostle Paul finishes the story really well. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what was also passed on to me. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying Easter, the resurrection, happens to be the most important thing in human history. I I opened the sermon up with that idea and I wanna wrap it up with this idea. This is the most important thing. What you do with the story of Easter has gigantic implications, not just in your right now, but also in your forever. See, Christ died, he goes on to say, Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. Christ died for our brokenness, for all of our mistakes, whether we were backing into a garage uh, or we were committing some terrible sin. He died for us, for our sins. He goes on to say in verse 4, he was buried. We, talk, we covered that earlier because Nicodemus and Joseph, Arimathea, were the ones that buried him. But this is the significant part of the story because he didn't stay dead. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen. So he goes on to say, not only did the resurrection happen, but then he, they, the apostle Paul, who writes 13 books of the New Testament, goes on to say this. He says, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And so he was seen by, by Peter, the disciple, and then by the rest of the disciples. And then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. And so this proves the fact the resurrection happened because never has it ever been a situation where 500 people have hallucinated about the very same thing at the very same time right? So it's one thing if one guy said, that, said it to happen. It's another thing if 12 guys said it happened. How about 500 people all at the same time seeing a resurrected Jesus? This really happened. Most of whom, as, as Paul writes this, he says, most of whom are still alive, uh, though some have died. Then he said that he was seen by James and then later by the, by the apostles. And my question to you today is this, what's it going to take for you to move past being a little bit confused or a little bit casual about your faith, to you saying, you know what, man, I'm committed uh, to making Jesus Christ the Savior of my life. I want you to know the implications of the resurrection are for real for you. Although this story may have happened 2,000 years ago, it's real for you today. And I wonder if today's the day that you would put your trust, faith, and hope not in yourself, not in religion, but in the person of Jesus. Jesus came for your brokenness so that you wouldn't have to be broken anymore. He came and died for our sins so that we could be made whole. And so I wonder today, are you ready to give your life to him and and declare him to be the savior of your life? If you are, you can bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And I would love to pray with you right now in this moment. And, And in this moment, would you just say, God, thank you. You can say it with me as you pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus for me. Today, God, I admit, that I've done some things that I'm not proud of. I admit today that I'm broken. But God, I believe that you sent your only son for the things that I broke, for the sins that I've committed, for the wrongs that that I've done in my life. And God, today I confess you and only you to be the savior of my life. God, starting today, I'm living for you, not for me. Thank you for saving me and making me a Christian. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 9 45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.